Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to iCommunicate. Happy to be with you. And, uh, boy, it's been a few weeks. I'm thrilled to be back. And uh, today we're talking about a really cool topic. But before I get into it, I just want to ask a question a rhetorical one, of course, to our listeners. And I want to know, have you ever noticed how often people know they're supposed to do something, but they don't do it? Or they know they're supposed to do something, but they don't do it consistently every time they have the opportunity to do something? Are you talking about laundry? Well, the jazz, that's a great example. Certainly laundry would be one. A child cleaning their room, an adult doing laundry, yes, any of those things would apply. And what got me thinking of that is one of the biggest challenges of someone who's in a position of authority, a leader, a parent, a coach, someone of the like, is to get someone to convert their knowledge to action. To, and not only to convert their knowledge to action, but to do it consistently. I work with organizations, I work with a lot of organizations that are in manufacturing, and I'll work with people who are on the floor in warehouses operating machines, and they won't follow a certain process to the letter on a machine, and then a job gets done wrong, and then it has to be redone, and it costs the company thousands of dollars to redo the job. And so what does the leader say to the person who didn't follow the process? You need to follow the process. And the person's sitting there going, yeah, no, I knew that. But why didn't they do it? Why don't people build those habits in a way where when they know not only how to do things, they know the benefits to doing the things, such as doing your laundry so you have clean clothes. So this is the big question for the show today. How can we help people build habits and sustain those habits when they have the knowledge They even have the benefits, but they just can't get in the habit of doing them at all or consistently. And the example that we're going to talk about on the show today is something that I find myself training and coaching people on every day now. And frankly, all the coaches at Mindset Go, we find ourselves working with clients on this every day, and it's called the sphere of influence. And the sphere of influence is basically made up of three things. And the reason why I started the show the way I did, Jazz, is tell me if this sounds familiar. How many times in your life, Jazz, do you think you've read somewhere or had someone say to you, Jazz, for your own mental health and well-being, control what you can control and let go of what you can't, right? Oh, all the time. Right. That whole serenity prayer, the control what you can. (laughs) And can we all agree that every time you hear that and you're reminded of it, it feels like, yeah, that's true. That's really good advice. I should do that. So if we know that to be true, if we know we're going to be happier, have less anxiety, reduce our stress level, have better relationships with other human beings, why don't we just do that? Why don't we just control what we can control and let go of what we can't? But the sphere of influence adds a third layer to it. And it basically says that not only should you control what you can control 
and let go of what you can't, but it says recognize when you can influence. And see, the thing is that's crazy about this sphere of influence is that you can't control people's reactions, but you can influence them. And that's the odd thing, right? Like, Because there's a lot of people say, well, hey, they're going to do what they want to do. People don't change. And they're high maintenance. They're angry. And we have all these descriptive words we use to describe people. And when we use those words to describe people, what we're really doing is we're creating a fixed mindset. When you say to someone, that person is resistant to change, that person is angry, what you're saying is that's how they always are. That is their identity. That is their personality. And that's just not true. No one is angry 100% of the time, resistant to change 100% of the time. So, But what happens with us psychologically is when we get disappointed with people, when our expectations aren't met and we're let down, we need somewhere to we need someone to blame. That hurt needs to go somewhere. And so what we typically do in many cases is we blame the other person, what they're not doing or what they need to do differently. And what we don't typically do is look in the mirror and discern and recognize our role. Communication takes two to tango. For you to be an effective communicator, you have to recognize when there is a breakdown in communication, I don't care whether it's written, verbal, nonverbal communication, a blend of all of them, right? It Two people had to be involved. So you need to understand what your role is and you need to understand what you believe and perceive the other person's role is. Now, one of the great examples of this is in sales. So salespeople, if you typically ask a salesperson why they don't get a sale when the deal falls apart and it doesn't happen, most salespeople blame price. Oh, well, they, it wasn't in their budget or they said it was too much money. That is a common default response for salespeople. Yet if I ask a salesperson, what else could it have been? Could it have been that you didn't really establish the value of your product or service? Could it have been that you didn't adequately overcome the objections they had for your product or service? Could it have been that you really never understood what the urgency level was or what the true root cause pain centers for were for why they wanted to buy? Yeah, it could have been any of those. But it's just easier to say, yeah, it was price because it's convenient. It, it's that confirmation bias. It takes you off the hook. It eliminates you from having a role in the process. So the sphere of influence, okay, is understanding three different components of human emotionally intelligent communication. Component number one is what can you control? And I'm counting on you as a listener to remember this for the rest of your life. There are only two things you can control, your thoughts and your actions. There's nothing else. Those are the two things. What you can't control are how people respond to you. You don't know what their life experience is. You don't know 
um, what kind of challenges they've experienced, what their triggers are, how they interact with people, their baggage. You don't know any of that. Even when you do know it. Their worldview. Their worldview. You still can't control it. So you can't control that. But you can influence people's thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions. And it's, 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 it's you know, we, we hear the word thrown around so often, accountability. Be accountable. But to be accountable, it goes both ways. If you're someone that has a core value or really prioritizes being accountable, part of the fundamental foundational piece of being accountable is recognizing what you can control and what you can influence. And then being self-aware enough to look back to re-examine your process. So this is a critical concept. And, you know, I start the show by saying, think of things that you know in your heart are the right thing to do, but you haven't built the habit yet. When a person gets angry with somebody else, there were two pieces going on in that, in, in that interaction. And so if you recognize what you did that contributed to that frustration, that anger disappointed, because you, you had a role. I'm not saying it's always 50-50, but you had a role. And there's two sets of factors that go into how you influence people. One are the four communication ingredients, which are the words you use, the tone and how you deliver those words, how you say the words, your ability to listen, to understand, and the body language you model. And the body language you interpret from others. Like Those are all the communication ingredients. So when I say control what you can and influence others, the way you influence others is by using the right words, using a tone that is curious and empathetic. The body language is intuitive and listening to understand. Again, many of you listening to the show today may say to yourself, right, right, I get it. Yeah, those, those, are, those are important pieces of communication. But the question is, when there's a breakdown in communication with someone in your life, are you aware of where you may fall short in those communication ingredients? Do you tend to get frustrated and your tone shows it or your choice of words show it? And that l- lends us to the other key ingredients to emotionally intelligent communication is be self-aware of how your thoughts and actions are coming across. Manage your reactions, right? Know how those will motivate or not motivate people and understand the power of empathy. So when we come back from our break, I'm going to actually take you through a conversation, a real conversation that happened, and you can see how this sphere of influence plays out in the conversation. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the sphere of influence today. And 
I told you in this segment where I'm going to take you through a story that really, really models the sphere of influence. So here's the story. I get a call from a client this week, and the client is sharing with me that they are, this person is having a difficult interaction with their office manager at their company. And I'm going to call this Operation Bottleneck. So what's going on is person A, which is the client who called me, he calls me up and he needs a piece of information for a client, not for himself, for a client. But he has to go through the office manager to get the information. So the office manager is part of her responsibilities to take care of this part of a process. So he goes to the office manager and says, I need such and such. The office manager says, well, quote unquote, too bad, can't get it to you. The person responsible for this is on vacation. So there's a, another middle person in this, right? So person A makes the request to the office manager. The office manager can't deliver on the request because the person who's ultimately responsible is on vacation. So first thing I'm thinking to myself as he's telling me this story is, because as people tell me stories, I take notes, I process what they're saying, and I'm thinking, where, where are the failure points in this story around what could have been controlled, what couldn't have been controlled, and what could have been influenced? So anyway, so the person who's responsible is on vacation. So my client goes back a week later after the person returns from vacation and makes the request again. And says to the office manager, okay, so I'm just coming back to you now that the person's back. We need to get this done. The office manager's response very uh, harshly is, I heard you. It's in the queue. It'll get taken care of. So understand that part of the dynamic here is the office manager in this case is probably in her 50s. And the person in this case is in their 20s. So there's a generational difference in how they're communicating with one another here. So he says, okay. So now he, he goes back to tell the client, say, okay, it's in the queue. It'll get taken care of. So a week and a half goes by. The client calls my client and says, yeah, we still don't have that information we need. My client's like, you got to be kidding me. So now he goes back to... Instead of going back to the office manager to resolve the problem, what he does instead is he goes to one of the principals of the company and goes over her head to get what he needs. The principal of the company recommends that to solve the problem, he actually doesn't go back to the office manager. He goes to someone else in the company who has a better relationship with the office manager that will hopefully motivate the office manager to do what he wants for the client. So then this other person goes to the office manager. The office manager is annoyed that my client went over her head and now wants to talk to him about why didn't you just come to me? And I know this is a lot of details to follow, but I, but I want you to recognize that so now the office manager is upset because he went overhead. He eventually gets what he needs. And then the office manager complains to one of the owners of the company about my client. So my client is calling me up and he says, Mark, what did I do wrong here? Like, I, I thought I crossed every T and dotted every I in how I handle this communication. And as it turns out, I made six recommendations of how he could have handled that differently. 
So I want you to follow along. Remember now, we're going through the process of what could have been controlled, what could, could not have been controlled, and what could have been influenced. On the very first step, when he made the request and he was told the person was on vacation, he walked away and left it unclear. He could have said in that moment, okay, I didn't realize he was on vacation. My question is, when he gets back, when can this request be processed? So there was a real miss about setting and managing expectations. And frankly, that's where communication goes awry more than 50% of the time when either side in an interaction doesn't clearly set and manage expectations. So two things came to me. Number one, it's fine that the person was on vacation, but why not ask when he returns, when the request can be processed? And number two, it occurred to me that if the person responsible for this task is on vacation and my client didn't know about it, that means everybody else in the company didn't know about it. And there's a flaw in the communications within that company. So everybody is told that, The person's on vacation, right? So now you know how to communicate more effectively with your clients and more effectively set and manage expectations with your clients. Because if I promise a client something and I'm dependent on another human being and I'm not aware if that human being's on vacation, then I'm making a promise I can't deliver on and I look bad. And now trust is impacted. And now confidence in my ability to deliver and serve that client, that human being is impacted. So to sum it up, my client who was complaining about this office manager had an opportunity to ask a critical question from the get-go and didn't ask. But okay, so a week goes by, no problem. So the second he goes back and now he says, well, now that the person's back from vacation, Can we get it done? And the office manager bottlenecks it and says, yeah, it's in the queue. It's in the queue. That doesn't mean anything. I don't know what it's in the queue means. I don't know whether I'm the first in line, the eighth in line, if that means two days, if that means two weeks. Do you ever notice how some companies, when you call them in customer service, they'll say you're fifth in line, you're second in line, you're first in line. That's setting expectations to a point. At least you know how many people are ahead of you. It still doesn't tell you how quickly it's going to happen, but it's something. So second chance, when my client is bottlenecked again, he could say again, so I understand him in the queue, but assertively, not aggressively, in an angry way, right? Because my client can control his thoughts and actions. So if he becomes angry or hostile and uses a tone that takes the conversation down a bad path, then he's not influencing the situation effectively. So my client could have assertively said to that office manager, now that I'm in the queue, could you at least give me a range? Best case, it'll happen at this time. Worst case, it'll happen this time. And said to the office manager, I need to set expectations for my client. Because part of what we need to do here is to disrupt the office manager's thought process because the office manager is now making it a clash of personalities and she has lost sight of the fact that she is not doing this request for my client. 
She's doing it for the customer, the customer who pays the bills for the company by being a customer. So we're two steps in, and my client has failed to ask a critical question twice, which is the core competency of asking questions, and it is the core competency of setting and managing expectations. So now, to put the whole thing together, so now my client says, I give up. I don't know what to do. She's not doing it. So instead of making it about her shortcomings in giving it up, giving up, he resigns himself to the fact that I better go over her head, which is an aggressive act. Now, I understand in some situations with companies and organizations, you really do have no choice, but you better have exhausted all the things you could have influenced and controlled if you're going to say you have no choice. So he goes over her head. She gets angry. Now she calls him out for going over her head. When all along, he could have just said to her, could you just set and manage expectations for the range of how quickly I can deliver for my client? And the last piece of this story is, I said to my client, when you get to a point where you really believe you're out of options, you have no other way you could influence the person or the situation itself, worst case, you could have said to the office manager, listen, my intention wasn't to go over your head. I felt like you weren't hearing my request. And I didn't know what else to do because the client has to come first. So I was out of options. So in the next time this situation comes up, how would you like me to handle it differently? And now you've created a collaborative process. And now you've kind of been vulnerable and said, listen, it wasn't my first choice. It wasn't my intention. But I really didn't know what else to do because I felt you weren't hearing me. And now they can talk about what the core issue was. And that was the ultimate advice. So what was out of his control was how she was going to respond to him. What was in his control are how he processed her bottlenecking his need to serve the client. And what was in his ability to influence was his ability to ask questions, to listen, to understand, and to set and manage expectations. So when we come back, we'll continue on with our sphere of influence conversation. I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. So so that last segment, just to, just to put some closure, that was a lot to follow. But the moral to the story in the example I gave with the client is... The call that I originally got from the client was the client saying, Mark, you're never going to believe what a pain this office manager is. You're never going to believe what a bottleneck she is. And it was all about office manager, office manager, office manager. And then when I took him through his role and how he could have seen it differently, he said, yeah, okay, I I guess I didn't see it that way. So I said, I'm glad you agree with me. But at the end of the day, it's not about agreeing with me. It's how are you going to build that mindfulness and that habit around the next time you have an experience with her or anyone else, instead of looking at all the things she's doing or she did wrong, saying, well, what could I do differently to influence this situation? 
And so he said the right things. He's an authentic guy. I believe his intention is to develop the habit. And at the end of the day, it's one thing to have the knowledge and agree that remembering how to influence situations is important, but doing it and in the moment, stopping yourself to recognize those opportunities, that's a whole different skill set. So let's take a situation when you're trying to get that accountability. You're a leader and you're having a conversation with someone on your team and you're having a conversation with them about some kind of habit or something in their performance that you feel needs to be improved. So you sit down and have the conversation. And the question is, how will you know the conversation went well? Well, the answer I get, 80 to 90% of the time was, did they change their habit? I had the conversation, Mark. I talked to them. I told them what was wrong. I asked how I could help. And now, did they actually change their habit? And I have to tell you that that's not enough to successfully change habits, to have one conversation. And what it really comes down to is when the person doesn't change their habit after one conversation or have an improved behavior, who's to blame? Is it the person? Is it the leader? Well, it's almost always both, right? Because there's, for you to know if you've had a successful conversation, if your barometer for a successful conversation is, did the person change their habit? But see, you can't control that, right? Because you can't control people. So when you say your outcome is, did they change, is your barometer, you're set up to fail more often than not, and you're putting the onus solely on the other person to be able to make that change. I mean, for God's sakes, have you tried to change a habit lately? You know, when you think about changing a habit, it's hard. Big or small, it's hard. If you're listening to the show and you're like, all right, I'm going to listen to Mark. He says that I need to develop the habit of when I'm handling situations, recognizing that sphere of influence, inner voice talk track. What can I control? What can I control? What can I influence? I got to build that habit. How? How? If you are a person who's never done that in your life, so let's say you're 30. So now, for 30 years on this earth, you've never used that inner voice talk track, and you're going to stop listening to the radio show today, and you're going to be like, oh, yep, I'm going to just do it now. All the time, every time. No freaking way. And if you're, now think about if you're 40 or 50, it gets harder because you have more years of experience ingrained in your personality. And then, even if you've done the inner voice talk track of sphere of influence before, intermittently, but you still haven't developed a way to do it consistently. So this is what I'm talking about. Self-awareness. If you are in a position of authority, a leader, a parent, and you are asking someone to behave differently than they ever have, or that they haven't been able to do it consistently, you want to have one conversation with them and you think they're going to be able to snap to it just like that? No way. So, you know, the sphere of influence starts with setting realistic expectations for yourself and for others. I don't want you to be hard on yourself. 
This is not, when I say accountability is discerning between your role and someone else's role, my message here isn't be unduly hard on yourself. My message here is you have to have a success template to know if the conversation you had was effective. Jasmine, did you play any sports growing up? I did. I played soccer. I did years of dance and gymnastics. I did a little football, hockey. Okay. I was very well-rounded. Okay, pick, pick what was your favorite one of all of them. Probably football. Okay, so let's take football. So if you were teaching someone else how to play football, finish this sentence for me. When you go to catch a pass, okay, what are two things that are really important to keep in mind when you go to catch a pass? What would you say? Definitely keeping your eye on the ball so you can track it and then keeping your feet in the right position so that you're not going to fumble it, that you actually can catch it and keep moving. Perfect. Perfect. So it's interesting why I'm using sports as an example, Jasmine, is because if you were coaching somebody else in football and your job was to coach receivers and they didn't do it effectively, you could watch film if it was being recorded, but there's a process to catch a pass. If you drop it, there's a good chance you may not be doing something in that process. But Jasmine, with conversations, most people don't have a process. It's just, hey, you know what? I noticed you're not doing this. You need to be doing this. And how can I help? That's the conversation. Well, and I find a lot of times people don't realize that that dialogue isn't just in that one moment in time either. It's then you have to process that, then you have to implement it, then you have to keep going with it and make it a habit yourself. So if you're not taking into consideration what that person just said to you and how to best interpret that information and implement it, then you're not even going to get anywhere with it either. It's, it's, it's a great point. And, and, to build on what Jasmine said, when you talk about managing yourself, the point, the overarching point I'm trying to make on the show today about managing yourself is for you to be effective at developing and motivating other people, you have to put yourself in their shoes and remember what it's like for you when you've gone to build a habit and sustain a habit and recognize what were the barriers, what are the barriers that continue to get in your way. And so if you're going to coach and motivate and develop other human beings, and you're not even in touch with your process and what gets in your way, you're not going to be able to effectively relate and empathize and influence others. Now, I teach our coaches at Mindset Go, we teach conversation intelligence. Because we want you to have a conversation with another person and be able to say at the end of the conversation to yourself, I did my job. It was a great conversation. I don't know if they're going to change their habits or behaviors, but I'll tell you what, I hit it out of the park. It's like there's a new meme going around that's, I understood the assignment. Right, right, right. And so, and you know what I hear from leaders when I, when I coach them on conversation intelligence? They'll be like, but Mark, our job is to be able to adapt, adapt when people don't change, adapt to their personalities, adapt to how they like to be motivated. And I'm like, absolutely, we're aligned. That's fantastic. I'm not suggesting 
when you have a success template for an effective conversation, you become complacent and you stop looking for signs of how to adapt and relate to people. I'm saying that you, like Jasmine described with for a receiver, footwork and keeping your eye on the ball, I'm saying to have a foundational process. Listen, a receiver could drop the ball and have done everything right and it could be just a physical error. They just dropped the ball, right? So we're talking about a foundational success template in conversation. Well, and at the end of the day, we have to adapt to every different person. No matter how many people you come in contact with, everybody has a different worldview. Everybody has a different perspective. And talking to one person about it is going to be drastically different than talking to another person about it. It is. It is. It's the whole, honestly, Jazz, it's the whole millennial mindset of older generations saying, I don't know how to deal or communicate with millennials. And I've said this on the show multiple times. Millennials... Every person is different from one another. It's not about a generational thing. People are different. Your job as a leader, you sign up, you have to adapt to people's motivators, past experience, confidence level, the list goes on and on. That's what you're supposed to do, whether they're 70 or 30, it doesn't matter. Now, the one thing I want to make sure we cover, you know, before the show wraps up is here I am talking about the success template for an effective conversation. And remember, I'm going to share what that template looks like. But remember the key now. The key is that I want you to get in the habit of having this success template so you can personally evaluate your own performance, discern between what you could have controlled and influenced and what you couldn't have as a result of that conversation. So I'm going to do the first one. Jess, how many, how many more minutes do I have in this segment? Just about one. Okay. So I'm going to do the first one, just as an overview, and then the last segment will be about this template. So the first one is emotionally intelligent communication. How do I know if I was an emotionally intelligent communicator? Well, it's pretty simple. Were you self-aware of how you wanted to communicate in that conversation? When people didn't cooperate and react the way you expected them to react, did you respond effectively to those people or did you react? Okay. And last but not least, did you use the right words, tone, body language, and listen to understand? So if you're an emotionally intelligent communicator, that's your checklist, your success template to be an emotionally intelligent communicator. And it's pretty easy to discern at the end of the conversation if you reacted or you got triggered or you got frustrated. You'll know. So when we come back for our next segment, I will finish up the success template for great conversation or impactful conversation. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to our final segment for I Communicate. So we're talking about the sphere of influence, and we're specifically now talking about a successful conversation template related to performance improvement or habit change. So we talked about emotionally intelligent communication. So you finish the conversation, and you're like, wow, look at me. I led with empathy. I didn't overreact or respond to something they said in an unhealthy way. Uh, My words were really uh, supportive and kind. 
My tone was curious. I listened. I asked a lot of questions. You know, I I felt like I was very self-aware of how I was communicating what I needed and wanted to communicate in that conversation. I mean, listen, it really comes down to this. I was self-aware of how I communicated what I wanted, and I was self-aware of how I responded when they communicated. I mean, that puts it pretty, pretty simple, right? So let's say you do that. The habit doesn't change. You're frustrated. You're like, ah, geez, I know, I know Mindset Go tells me to, you know, discern my role in a conversation. I know Mindset Go says, you know, people don't typically change habits after one conversation. So guess what? I'm not going to be frustrated with the other person. Even though I was great at the emotionally intelligent communication part, I'm going to say, what else could I have done in my success template? Oh, I just remembered. Here's what it is. I got to the root. I didn't get to the, uh, I didn't solve the right problem. You know, I thought I was solving a time management problem, but what I was really supposed to be solving was the person is burnt out. They're not engaged in their job, but I thought it was just a time management issue. So in a conversation around habit change, part of the reasons conversations repeat themselves second and third and fourth time is we don't get to the root cause of the real problem. Listen, when you're in a first conversation and you say to the person with the best of intentions, you look at the person and say, hey, so here's the problem. It needs to change. How can I help? The person, in most cases, has no idea how you can help. You know why? Because they haven't even, in many cases, they didn't even realize it was a problem, number one. Or they did realize it was a problem, but they didn't think it was that big of a deal. And now this may be the first time someone's bringing it to their attention. They haven't even thought about solutions for themselves, never mind how you can help. So this is what I mean. Get to the root cause of the real problem. Stop trying to be a problem solver and take the peripheral reason that you believe is the issue in that first conversation and ask questions and be curious and get to the root cause of why the behavior is what it is. If a child doesn't clean their room over and over and over, in most cases, they're not choosing to not clean their room to annoy you. They're not sitting there going, you know how I can piss off mom and dad by not cleaning my room? That's not what's happening. They haven't developed the habit. They don't know how to incorporate that. No one ever taught them to build the habit of cleaning their room. And some of you parents who may be listening, oh, Mark, you're, you know, we're not going to wussify kids these days. You know, you're enabling behavior. No, I'm not. And as I go through the rest of this success template before we finish, you're going to see why I'm not. Well, and people don't realize that they have to delegate that responsibility to their kids. If you don't take the effort to show your kids, okay, now you're going to learn how to cook. Now you're going to learn how to clean your room. This is how we do this then how are you going to expect them to actually know what they're doing? That's a great point. I, I love that, Jazz. I love that. Okay, so now, Jazz, I've had two conversations with my person. And, and Jazz, you got to be a fly on the wall and watch it. And you're like, oh, my God, that leader, what an amazing job. Emotionally intelligent communication, check. Root cause, wonderful questions, listing, check. Still didn't change their behavior. So now the person sits there and they're back to that inner voice Sphere of influence question. Well, okay, so I'm doing what they I'm doing what mindset go said. Emotionally intelligent communication, get to the root cause. They're still not changing the behavior. See, this is why people are annoying, they're saying. This is why 
I don't know why I bother. Like that kind of framework, right? But wait, you're doing the inner voice talk track and now you remember what you didn't do. You didn't remember to share the impact or the why that your request is important, which was Jazz just kind of alluding to. And then even more important, you didn't get the other person to share their why to say why they think it would be important. Ask your son or daughter next time they're not cleaning their room, say, why would it be important from your perspective to clean their room? They'll think you're from, from Mars. They're like, where did that question come from? But the third step in a conversation template is you share the why and impact from your perspective and you get it from their perspective. So now, three conversations in, you've done the three checklist items for successful conversation and now the behavior changed for a week and now it's reverted back. So now you're even angrier. And you're more frustrated because you're thinking, look at all this time I took. And they're still not good. They don't care. They say they care, but they don't really care. So now we're on our fourth conversation. And now we go back to what Jazz said. People don't change habits and behaviors in many cases because they don't know how to do it. They don't have the confidence. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the skills. And they don't have the experience. So Jazz said, show, don't tell. Right? Delegate. Don't just say, go clean your room. Do it with them. Engage in it with them. Tell them why you think it's important, like I said before. But go through it. Teach them how to do it. They've, no, one, no one, as a kid, no one ever says, hey, this is how you clean your room. But what Jazz is saying is show, don't tell, and delegate it, and, and be, in the, be in the trenches with them. So now, Jazz, you've had the fourth conversation. You've done that. You've shared your process. You were in the trenches. You showed, you, you, they confirmed they know how to do it. They're like, thanks so much, leader. I know how to do it now. That's great. Four conversations. And then habit change doesn't stick again. So now you're like, oh, my God. You're thinking, do you know how much time this has taken me? Because now we're in the time is my most precious commodity. I've invested four conversations with this person. It's all about them. They're not doing it. I've done everything. I've influenced everything. I've followed all mindset goes four steps. But then there's the fifth and final step, which is setbacks. So because behavior change doesn't take place the first time, the thing about setbacks is, did they really understand when you just delegated and were in the trenches with them, maybe they didn't pick up everything the first time. Maybe there's pieces that were left out. Maybe they didn't write down what you said and they're trying to do it out of rote memory. So now you've got... That's normal learning. That's normal converting knowledge to action step. Five conversations. There's five different things a leader or a parent could have done to influence the success of that conversation. So here's the message, everybody. You're worried about your time. You're worried about losing confidence in people and trust in people. Then write down the five things I said. Create a checklist for yourself. And make sure before you finish that first conversation, you've done all five. It doesn't guarantee you're only going to have one conversation. But you know what it guarantees? The amount of conversations is going to be significantly reduced. It turns it more into an open book. Instead of having to figure out what the other person is thinking or feeling, you're having that open communication. They know what you're thinking and feeling. You know what they're thinking and feeling. Well, that's just it. It's it, and Jazz, that, that's, that beautifully ties into where we said in the beginning. Communication's a two-way street. 
for habit change and behavior change to take place, it has to be a collaborative effort. Very, very few people, there are some, are so driven and so successful that they can just do it right away and they're so passionate no, driven. you got to be on the same page and you got to be ready to make the change. So, so, so final takeaways for today. So we have a conversation template for success. The message is do not evaluate the outcome of the conversation as the primary barometer for success in the conversation. A blind squirrel can eventually find a nut. You may get lucky with the right person. You may get unlucky, unlucky with the wrong person. But if you have a process, just like catching a pass in football, just operating a machine on a manufacturing floor, just like paying bills in QuickBooks, I don't care what it is. If you have a process, value that process and use it because you can't clone people. You can clone habits and behaviors. And that's how you can model behavior when you manage yourself. And that's how you can have your team develop and sustain habits, which is the single hardest thing to do in leadership. It's called situational awareness, everybody. So if you want more information on how to use Mindset Go, 978-793-1159 or email at info at mindsetgo.com for help with conversational or emotional intelligence related to leadership or sales. For I'm, I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate Jazz. Thanks again for doing a wonderful job, both producing and contributing, and we'll see you next time.